Sure. Do you end on the G and just stay there, or do you go back to the minor chord for the hold? Uh, let me see this. Um, nothing stands between.
you made it in safely. I barely did. As you may recall from last week, our series has focused on trick questions, such as, will my dog be in heaven with me? Whose wife will I be when I get to heaven? And where in the world is Pastor Matt? Wait a minute. He's back. That was the family service. We were on our own, and we were like, where is he? But here he is. Anyway, we picked some wonderful music for you as we think about life beyond this earth, as we think about what lies beyond just our relationships with each other, and we think about how important each one of us is to God. 
invite you to safely and distantly turn and pass the peace of Christ to those around you. And then please remain standing.
you so much. I could hear you up here. I invite you to grab a seat and enjoy this scripture video. We invite you to enjoy this reading of our scripture. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to redeem the time and I'm going to do the announcements. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my bad. Um, Noblesville First Care Ministry is deploying a new army of volunteers. Prayer buddies are soft and cuddly stuffed animals that you can carry prayers and hope and comfort. Our call to action is twofold. You can purchase some new or gently used animals to donate, or you can take a prayer buddy to someone, regardless of age, as a reminder that our church is praying for them. Details on noblesvillefirst.com slash care buddies. Um, we invite you to get your students to come to the 6 to 12. Let me say that again. Students in grades 6 to 12 are, inviting, are invited Sunday night from 6 to 8 in the Vine. We're relaunching youth group. Uh, they can expect games, snacks, and fellowship. We encourage all the students to invite their friends. And then there's a blood drive Monday, socket to cancer blood drive. There'll be a $20 e-card gift card given to you and a free branded pair of socks, so you don't want to miss it. And sign up is on the website. Uh, it's from 2 to 6. If you would, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord my God and my salvation. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, can do what only you can do, which is open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what lessons you would like for us to learn this morning as you explain the word of God to us. We ask that through your power and your majesty and your honor and your glory, Lord Jesus, that we would begin to experience heaven here on earth. And we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Matthew 19, 1 through 14. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into a region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him, and they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. 
Why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts become hardened. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, well, that's a situation between a husband and wife. It's just better not to marry. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who are made that way by other people, and there are eunuchs who choose to live as eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Then the people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come unto me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. We read that after Jesus went to the other side of the Jordan, he healed everyone in the large crowds that were following him. And each time Jesus healed someone, they were to go to the temple and offer sacrifices to Moses to be ceremoniously cleansed. Jesus told the lepers to go to the temple and become cleansed after he healed the lepers. So every time that Jesus healed someone, they were going to the temple. The religious men in charge were aware that Jesus was attracting large crowds and that Jesus was healing people. In nine different chapters of Matthew, Jesus healed people. And in chapter 10, Jesus' disciples go out and heal people. Can you imagine if Jesus were here with us today with everyone who has COVID and he walked into the hospital and he healed them all? Therefore, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were questioning him Make no mistake, they were not asking Jesus for his wisdom or respecting Jesus as a healer or a teacher. They had evil intent in their hearts. The religious leaders were, in fact, building a case against Jesus. They needed to trap him. They wanted to trap Jesus into saying something so blasphemous that they could destroy him. And we learn this in Matthew 12:14. But the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they would kill Jesus. This was the intent of their hearts. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders. There were about 6,000 of them. And we learned from Pastor Jill last week that they believed in life after death and they were more middle class, not the upper aristocrats like the Sadducees dealing in the temple. The Pharisees were the ones that added rules to the Ten Commandments. So, for example, the Jews couldn't work on the Sabbath day. They had to keep the Sabbath day holy. 
So the Pharisees decided to add rules to this practice to say exactly what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day that's considered work. For example, when Jesus' disciples were hungry, they went to pick grains of sand. Sand. They went to sand. They didn't eat sand. They went to pick grains of wheat, and they were eating the wheat. And the, and the Pharisees came and said, and they shamed Jesus as a teacher, and they said, your disciples are working on the Sabbath day. They're eating and picking these grains and eating on the Sabbath day. Have you ever had a micromanager at work? I have. <laughs> the Pharisees remind me of this micromanaging style of governing over the people of Israel. So they can, I can only imagine how judgmental a society could become with all of these rules in place and believing that this was the only way that they could serve God. So now we've established the evil intent of the Pharisees' heart. But let's look at the question they were asking Jesus. They were trying to trick Jesus with this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? There were two schools of thought. One group believed that yes, you could believe you could divorce your wife for any and every reason. And then the other group believed that you could only divorce your wife for sexual immorality. Marriage was very different back in the Jewish days. The marriage of a man and woman was not a romantic hallmark adventure. It was a contract between two fathers to form a stronger family. Like kings building a stronger kingdom with the arranged marriage of a son or a daughter. It was a contract between two families and the woman was the property. The contract between the two families, there were household chores that she did as a young woman, and she was valuable. Therefore, the father would be paid for losing her help around the house and maybe out in the fields. She was valuable if she could produce sons and carry on the family name. And if she could not produce sons, then she was scorned, and she could be divorced, and she could be alone and have to take care of herself. So what does Jesus answer? Jesus says, remember what was written from the beginning, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Ironically, the very name Pharisee means separate. God is giving civil rights to the woman long before women's suffrage ever began. Jesus states the scripture, I've heard in every wedding that I've ever attended in my life, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. The Pharisees quickly responded to Jesus with Moses' law in Deuteronomy 24, and Jesus rebuffs them and says, well, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But the very reason that you're questioning now is because your hearts are hardened. The condition of the human heart was the main problem throughout the Bible. We see it with Adam and Eve. We see it with Cain and Abel. It weaves its way throughout the whole pattern of the Bible and into our very lives. But what does this hardness of the heart look like? Please watch this video and it will explain more. 
For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then, on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart, or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick, who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. When I was studying Matthew 19 one night, I couldn't sleep. So I stayed up and I lit a lemon candle from Bath and Body Works in my apartment. And the scent became so overpowering <laughs> that I had to open my porch door and let some fresh air in. 
And I was surprised because it was December and it was about 50 degrees outside and it was so warm and beautiful. And outside my apartment, there's a little pond and as I, it just kind of called to me. I went out there and I sat on my porch and I just had the fresh air. It was so warm, like a warm breeze. And I asked God, what am I missing about this passage? Jesus softly said to me, well, it's a matter of the heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do all in love, for love, with love. Love is always the answer. I asked Jesus then about my own marriage and divorce. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jerry preached on love, and this was a very emotional sermon for me. I had the opportunity to hear it twice, and I cried through it both times. I realized I had not experienced the love of someone who would love me as a man and a woman love each other. The truth is I was married for 25 years, and I am a domestic violence survivor as well as other things. I know what it's like to stand before your family and make promises to another person to love, honor, and cherish them for the rest of your life and for those promises to be broken. I know what it's like for the person you trusted, a six-foot-four, 240-pound man, to give you a black eye and a busted lip. I know what it's like to have your little girl say, Mommy, did Daddy give you a black eye? I know what it's like to live with someone you're afraid of. And when he became angry and he called me names and he lifted me by the neck, I prayed to God that he wouldn't kill me. And God answered that prayer, and he dropped me to the floor in a crumpled mess. And I knew I needed to run, but I couldn't run. So he took his fist, and he gave me a black eye. And I tried to turn and run down my basement steps to get away. But he was pinning my knee. I know what it's like to limp around for six months while your knee is healing. This is my experience with marriage. I felt too worthless and exhausted and I never even considered leaving. I was so very hopeless that I would wake up every morning in my bed and say, I'm still here. I wish I were dead. So I asked God as I was preparing the sermon today, what do you believe about divorce? This scripture, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And he said, I never joined you two together. You were operating in your own selfish will, and I've never seen two people more unequally yoked. He was 20 years older. He did not grow up with the same religious morals, values, and beliefs that I did. 
Pastor Jill said to me, well, what if the marriage you're in is not building the kingdom of heaven on earth? See, you're not in a congregation of people who've never been divorced. Three of your pastors have been divorced. And I know it's God's will for me to leave and to never go back. But you see, I've been operating in my own will. It was the opposite of the Lord's Prayer. My will be done, not thy will. You see, it was a matter of the heart. But my story doesn't have a sad ending. My story has a happy ending. I met a man, and this man has treated me better than any man's ever treated me before. He showed me love and compassion and understanding. In fact, I can say that it's absolutely, without a doubt, 100% unconditional love. And for sure, he is my soulmate. For the last six years, I have been able to share with this man day and night, morning, noon, and night, dine with him, talk to him, enjoy his presence. And I'm never alone. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. For sometimes, some are called to be eunuchs. And if you can understand that, for the kingdom of heaven, I can understand that. I really feel like it's been a calling. And it's hard to explain if you haven't heard it. But what if we could all champion beautiful relationships within our hearts? I'm going to steal something here. We had an amazing speaker come and speak to us at the Martin Luther King celebration. Her name is Kara Herring. And I encourage you all, please go and listen to just 16-minute video of what she had to say and what she was teaching her staff and us that night. She learned about being questioned. She learned about being disrespected when she obtained this very powerful, important office of the office of learning how to be diversify people. She decided to continue her mission, even though people disrespected her and questioned her. And she decided to champion diversity with all of her heart. You could hear the passion in her words when she was speaking. And she explained to each and every one of us that we could love our neighbor as ourselves and we could love God with all of our heart if we just had these three simple tools. She said the first tool is the tool of civility or kindness. Whether at the courthouse or at your house, <laughs> in our marriage, or with our friends, or with our children, or with our families, or with a stranger in the grocery store, if we can just practice everyday kindness. She said the second tool is the tool of compassionate listening. We are actually listening without the desire to speak. Compassionate listening. You're not trying to figure out what am I going to say and respond to this person. You don't have to respond. You're just listening to listen. It's proven in psychology that when you listen to children, it gives them value and worth. 
And so if we just take time to listen, compassionately listen to one another, then we can have, we can champion that beautiful relationship. At least I want to have, I believe that we all want to have great relationships. And third, she said the third tool is constructive disagreement. And that's when we get to say what we believe, but we're also respecting the other person that we're speaking to. I believe that when our spouses, our children, our friends, our loved ones, yes, even strangers, see us and hear us and feel us using these tools of civility, kindness, compassionate listening to hear and not to speak, constructive disagreement. We can move our families, our relationships to the next level. I know that it would have moved my marriage to another place. I know it could have. We can be champions for what Jesus was teaching on how to show love, create the world where God, where, where we love God with all of our hearts, and we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're going to go into a few minutes of silent prayer. Then I will pray and we'll end with the Lord's Prayer together. Let's just bow our heads and speak to Jesus. God, we offer ourselves to build and do with us as you will. Please relieve us of the bondage of self that we may better do your will. Please take away our difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those we would help of your love, your power, and your way of life. God, we offer ourselves to you to build with us and do with us as you will. Please relieve us from the bondage of self that we may better do your will. Please take away our difficulties. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
this time we're going to move into a time of Holy Communion, an opportunity to come to the altar of the Lord, to renew our connection with our community of faith, to renew our connection to our Lord and our Savior, a reminder that God is love. Here in the Methodist Church, we believe in an open table, which means you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to share with us in Holy Communion. And the only thing we ask is that you desire a deeper relationship with God. Here in a moment, when we open the table, you will be welcome to come forward, go and reach into the basket and grab a communion cup. You can take it back to your seat if you'd like. You can kneel at the altar and light a candle, say a prayer. Whatever it is this morning that brings you in to worship with God, as we remember. We remember a Savior who spent so much of his time breaking down the legalism that the Pharisees tried to put on him. We remember a Savior that, regardless of the question, found a way to bring it back to love God, love others. Because Jesus truly and fully believed that everything was built on those two simple truths. That we are to love God and love others. And so if you, our interpretation of the scripture in any way can't lead back to love God, love others, we should take a hard look. It was emotional listening to Pam speak this morning because I have heard, I have heard Christians in churches say women in abusive relationships should not get divorced because Jesus didn't include that in Matthew 19. He said marital and faithfulness only, and that should be the rule. But that in no way leads back to love God, love others. So today, as we approach the altar, as we come and join at the table where everyone is welcome, we, we remember Jesus' words for what they are, which is his explanation to the men trying to get around things and trying to find legal loopholes and things that the whole point from the beginning was love God, love others as we remember the night that Jesus was killed. He was eating with his friends and he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, take and eat all of you. This is my body, which is for you. And after supper, he took a cup and he blessed it and he gave it to his friends and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful to be here in a place of worship, to be in a community of people who are here to learn more about you. God, remind us, teach us, put it so deeply in our hearts that we can't work around it, that your goal, your, your plan, your everything 
for us is to love, to love you and love others. God, just help us as we approach your altar today, as we come to the table to be filled with that love that when we leave this place, it overflows from us. Help us to open our hearts that you may come in. And we ask as we do each week.